0: Hello and welcome to Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. Thanks for coming back to join us. We have two scintillating stories for you
1: this week. How about, girl? Some Gwen Stefani is our episode title this week. We have two different kinds of trailblazers this week. <laughs> kinda, yeah, yeah.
0: Stacy, you covered. I uh, took a look at Sarah Palin, whose uh, divorce wrapped up in March, but it was kind of low key. It was not a super hyped thing. Just an interesting figure in the culture and sort of what she presaged. You have another trailblazer who is unequivocally lovable. Beautiful
1: and invented everything. If there's a trend, Josephine Baker did it first. Pick one. Any trend. She did it first. Four-time divorcee-ish. Four times married. (laughs) Three-time divorcee. It's a good story. It's a good story, y'all. Before we get started on the episode today, let's bring out the magic mirror and give some
0: big thanks to our new Patreon folks. Yes. Who joined Team Trash Candy this week. Thank you so much to Shannon, Rebecca C, Danielle H, JC, Margarita T, Michelle I, Alyssa L, Crystal T, and
1: Jen N. Y'all are the best. We also had... Some new Trash Candy Connoisseurs
0: this week. We do. Thank you so much to Samantha L., Lisa O., and Colleen K. for upgrading. Y'all are awesome. You're just the best. What do we put on? You you took over um, Patreon No, oh, I did a Patreon takeover you had in a, honor of
1: my birthday this week.
0: Yeah, you had a creative sprint. We had our regular Trashy
1: Tidbits on Tuesday, and then I did a deep dive with the sad passing of Olivia de Havilland. Did a deep dive into... Olivia de Havilland, her life, her marriages, her divorces, and the feud with her sister, Joan Fontaine. That's wrapped over two episodes. That was pretty fun. Oh, we also did the follow-up of Wonder Woman and talked about the real-life relationship that manifested the character of Diana Prince.
0: Relationships. Good point.
1: Good point.
0: Interesting story for, for sure. All right. Well, are we ready to just
1: dive into this? I ain't no hollow bat, girl. <laughs> Let's go, go, go. So, Stacey, we're going to have a new lady VP pick for the Democratic Party this week, but... What, rumor has it. Yeah, but you're talking about the... Lady Republican today. I got,
0: yeah, the, the second. So there have now been four women as part of presidential tickets in the United States. Fantastic. In, in all of, well, I guess that doesn't count like Victoria, like like the long shot can't, but right. in terms of party nominees, Geraldine Ferraro, Sarah Palin, Hillary Clinton, and whomever Joe Biden picks, that's four. So we'll be the fourth.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay,
0: okay, so covering Sarah Palin, who recently divorced.
1: undercover,
0: too. Like, you would think quickly that, and quietly, like we knew it was happening, but right, right. Um, she's been very, yeah, they've and and Todd Palin has been absent from media, which is kind of normal for him. he's not he's not a big publicity guy, I don't think, but anyway. Spill the trash. Yes. Uh, This story was requested by Liz J. Tiffany W. and Lisa O. in our Facebook group. Thank you. Thank you very much. So yeah, with Sleepy Joe Biden set to announce his vice presidential pick next week or maybe the week after that, we don't know. And with that pick destined to be the fourth woman to join a presidential ticket in American history, we thought it was time to dig into the recent marital unraveling of the second woman to join a presidential ticket, Alaska's former governor, Sarah Palin. Have to say, when we learned that the Palin marriage was breaking up last fall, I was surprised. The family is epically trashy, but in a way that's so unselfconscious that it's almost refreshing. They're just like, sure, we're a mess, but we're Palins. Claim it. The family that trashes it up together... Well, they don't stay together, it turns out. So, Mm. sorry to... Burst that bubble. Friends, you may remember that hot summer of 2008, when a little-known governor from an out-of-the-way state blasted into the bleeding heart of American politics when John McCain, the mavericky Arizona senator who was the Republican nominee to succeed George W. Bush, pulled her from kooky obscurity and nearly made her the vice president of the United States. He was like four points up in the polls when he made, like, she was a big boost to his campaign at the time, like... It's like it, so close. It was it really, really could have gone that way. Sarah Palin did not come to us alone. Thank you for that, Sarah Palin. We got to meet her family, husband Todd, the handsome oil field worker and snow machine racer, and their five whimsically named children, Track, Bristol, Willow, Piper, and Trigg. The Palins. Meet the Palins. Yep. The country was treated to a festival of weirdness, massive amounts of both sexism and objectification from the press, and a style of rabid populism that we've come to know well. This went on for months.
1: Trendsetters. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Pathbreakers, which turned all of the Palins into a subject of fascination for years. I think Bristol Palin even now is on some MTV reality show. So... Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, when the news broke last fall that Todd, after 31 years of marriage, had filed for divorce, there were far more questions than there were answers, Thirty-one. kind of still true. We we still really don't know what the specifics were there. They've kept it very low key.
1: For once in their life? For
0: once in their (laughs) life. Um, Yeah. So let's see what we can dredge up for you, dear listeners. Sarah Louise Heath was born February 11, 1964. Ooh, Aquarius. Throw. She is an Aquarius. Her father was an educator and her mom worked in a school. And when she was a baby, the family relocated from Sandpoint, Idaho, to Alaska, where her dad had a teaching job waiting. By 72, the family had settled in Wasilla, Alaska, a smallish town about 45 minutes outside of Anchorage. Okay. She went to Wasilla High School, where she played basketball, ran track, and first met and fell in love with Todd Palin. Young love. Todd was born September 6, 1964. He's a Virgo. So Todd had grown up on the mean streets of Dillingham, Alaska, which, uh, just looking at Google Maps and stuff, looks like a picture-perfect little fishing village Uh tucked away onto like just a little cutaway on the Bering Sea. I mean... Really pretty. There's like a a shot from an airplane, and there's just the mountains behind it. But it's you know flat because it's sea level. Anyway, it sounds lovely. At some point, his family moved inland, and like his future wife, he graduated from Wasilla High School in 1982. Todd sounds pretty classically Alaska. Um, He has, he's apparently the quiet type. He's never really looked for fame or attention, although he is a champion. Snow machine racer, snowmobile racer. Really? Yeah. He's won the Iron Dog Race four times. Holy dogs. It's like the Iditarod, but on longer because they're on machines. Um, Anyway. Wow. So after high school, he took some college classes, but like a lot of young men in Alaska, went to work in the lucrative oil and gas industry. He would become a production operator for BP on the North Slope. He's also a small plane pilot, which is also really common in Alaska. A man of all trades here. Yeah, well, to get around it's such a big place, like, it really helps to have your own little plane. He's a commercial salmon fisherman during the summer. And he engages in that most Alaska of sports, snowmobile racing. <laughs> <laughs> so, as noted, um, the Iron Dog is a 2,000-mile-long trek. He has competed in this every year since 1993. One year he was thrown. Actually, I think 08, He was thrown 70 feet from his snowmobile. Whoa! Um, broke his arm, required a trip to the hospital, and still came in fourth. No, <laughs> like he's really good at this. He takes it very seriously. Sarah, meanwhile, after high school, headed off to college in Hawaii, then transferred to a different college in Hawaii then attended North Idaho College for a minute, then a community college there for two semesters, then the University of Idaho, then Matanuska Susitna College in Alaska to spend more time with Todd, then back to the University of Idaho where she finally received her degree in communications with an emphasis on journalism in 1987. So let it be known that the oddness of her college experience did raise eyebrows in 2008, but... She's a pioneer of white grievance politics, so she generally was just able to flip it around into coastal elites being snobs, uh, which sure. is actually really fair. I can't like looking back on myself at like eighteen to twenty four, the idea of navigating all of these like schools transfer systems. There's a lot and going putting on, applications yeah. and deposits at new like that just. Anyway, administratively, that just seems like a ton of extra work that she just did for some reason. So, all right. Who leaves Hawaii? Uh, that's a really good question. I guess if you grow up with mountains and snow and all that. No, still, still, still doesn't make my sense. Who
1: leaves Hawaii to go to Idaho? Yeah. Not that Idaho is not a fantastic right. state. Sure. Idahoans. But I'm in college in
0: Hawaii for real interestingly barack obama like left hawaii to go to college i think i forget his biography but it's very strange so that that year with sarah palin and barack obama both on tickets they those are the last two states to join the union i think sarah palin was the first alaska governor who was born after statehood ah because it only became a state in the 60s right
1: Really interesting.
0: Quite recent. Anyway, there was a lot going on on that ticket that was very, or on those tickets though it was a very interesting race. Okay. In the end, she had her degree and she ran, not walked, back to Alaska and to Todd. She did some light journalism as a sportscaster in Anchorage and covered sports for the Matsu Valley Frontiersman. And in August 88, after a disappointing fishing season, left them broke, but closer than ever, they eloped.
1: (laughs) Love in Alaska.
0: Yeah, I mean, but think about it. Like they'd been together more or less since high school. I mean, they may have had sure. periods where they weren't. Like I don't know. She says they wrote letters to each other and stuff, but that's a long. Like six years is a long time to manage. Long anyway, whatever. So they get married. It's perfect. Track is born the next year. In total, they'll have five kids. The last is Trig who was, I think, kind of an oopsie baby, born in 2008. Trigg has Down syndrome, and apparently there were rumors in Alaska prior to her being picked for VP that this was not Sarah's baby at all, but it was Bristol's. This, I think, was coming from political opponents of hers that were like... Wow. "Mm -hmm." So, unfortunately, and this is a thing that really, like, I remember this because I read Andrew Sullivan's uh, website, like, often in this period... So the commentator, Andrew Sullivan, British conservative person, really latched onto this in kind of a disgusting way. And he was trying to make this case that like, you know, if she's invented this story about having this baby, she's psychotic. Like that's the term he used. And we shouldn't put psychotic people in high office. And like, I don't disagree with that, but reading it today made it seem a little like, well, ship sailed. Okay. So, Sarah Palin complains about the media a lot. Uh, she coined the term lamestream media, for instance. like, Oh, that was her? Oh, That was her, yeah. Oh, um, Sarah. But while it often comes off as whining, it's also fair to note that prominent media figures have just been aggressively sexist and conspiratorial about her since she came on the national scene. Like that, that is a true thing that happened. Andrew Sullivan's fixation with her was gross. No, that is a true thing that happened. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get to her career because she was really popular. Like she was way popular in Alaska before John McCain grabbed her. (laughs) Although it wasn't entirely like the national stage that wilted her flower. In 1992, she won a seat on the Wasilla City Council. And just so we're clear on like the scale of the elections here, um, her tally was five hundred and thirty votes and her opponent won three hundred and ten votes. And that that's how you win in small it's a towns. Big
1: election day in Wasilla.
0: Yep. Uh in nineteen ninety-six, when she was all of thirty-two years old, she became the mayor of Wasilla, Alaska. She won six hundred and fifty-one votes to the incumbents four hundred and forty. Fantastic. Great big election. Democracy at work. She had a really bad first year. Like she does not play well with others and Basically, like, ran a bunch of people out of jobs in the city that they'd held for a long time. Oh no! Chased out department heads, and uh, it was very controversial. But it's Sarah Palin, so she was just fighting the establishment. Wow! She turned things around, and she actually, when she ran for re-election, she won by a significantly bigger margin. She took home nine hundred and nine votes for the reelect uh, to her opponent's two hundred and ninety-two. So. Whatever she did worked. Doing something right. She was term limited out after her second term. She ran for lieutenant governor in O two, and while she didn't win, she did get on board with the, the eventual ticket and campaigned vigorously for them and was rewarded with an appointment to the Alaska Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, which oversees the economically crucial oil and gas reserves in the state. And in 2006, at the age of 42, Sarah Palin was elected as Alaska's first female governor and the youngest governor in state history. That was a big deal. Her approval ratings in her first year were routinely at like 90% and better. Really? Yes. Wow. I know, like she's such a polarizing figure now, but she really, she just really meshed with Alaska, whatever that means. As <laughs> someone in Georgia, it's... But yeah, she just had incredible public approval. She pushed for a bipartisan ethics bill to clean up government because as a populist, you have to always be fighting the corrupt establishment. And things were really good until she herself became enmeshed in an ethics scandal that came to be known as Troopergate. And this blew up in the summer of 08, but it didn't, like it did echo into the larger campaign. Like I remember being aware of it, but the details were a little flimsy but basically what happened here is that sarah palin's sister had been married to an alaska state trooper okay marriage fell apart so in 05 they go through a nasty nasty divorce but the dude's still a state trooper and as part of the divorce like the entire palin clan had like come together to write out like sworn affidavits about stuff that this dude mike wooten had done During the marriage, oh, and take it to his boss. Like they were trying to get him fired from his job. Yikes! Right? Yeah, super yikes! Because they have kids together, and like you're gonna, you're gonna get the guy who's gonna be paying you child support fired. The judge was really mad about all. Like, yeah, just thought the Palin's had lost their minds. Jump ahead a year, and suddenly Sarah Palin's the governor and the head of the alaska state troopers is her direct report <laughs> so like right I... yeah she takes office in december oh six and like by january oh seven her entire staff is lobbying this guy to either demote or fire mike wooten like on i think like he there were some like actual instances of misconduct but nothing super egregious it was I think Wooden did end up being disciplined for ten days or something. Like it, it was just a thing. Okay, Palin family values being what they are, she and her staff just begin this pressure campaign. Todd Palin himself goes to like meet. He's the he's the first dude of Alaska. That was his nickname. Um, he goes to meet with Mike <laughs> Wooden's supervisor. He's calling the head of Alaska State Troopers and. Yeah. They're just being really clear that, like, this is just probably not a guy who should really represent the state troopers, don't you think? Like, it was very mobstery kind of talk. Like, apparently nobody ever said, like, you need to fire him. But it would be like, well, what if he got moved to cold cases? Or, you know, like, what if he was just in charge of running background checks? Stuff like that. Just, (laughs) what if? Well, what if?
1: Interesting.
0: So the head of the troopers was like, listen, this whole thing is, like, all the labor issues here are governed by union contracts that are ironclad and you can't do anything about it. And also you're using your political office to pursue a personal grudge against a dude. So you're corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is all very bad. And so on July 11, 08, 19 months into her administration, her chief of staff calls this guy and fires him, the head of the Alaska state troopers. Oh my God. Cause he won't play ball on firing Mike Wooten. This turned into a really big scandal because, like, every Palin ally in Alaska had dirtied their hands making phone calls, sending dossiers. Like, it was just gross, right? Don't make the Palins mad. <laughs> Don't make the Palins mad. That's... Mm-hmm. So a 12-member bipartisan panel of the state legislature, which was eight to four Republican, like eight Republicans, four Democrats voted unanimously to bring in a retired state prosecutor to investigate and see if Republican oh, Sarah Palin God. had abused her power. <sighs> now keep in mind she gets tapped for VP in late August. So this is this is really all playing out at the same time basically. So because in October a report from this investigation comes out and it finds that Palin certainly has the authority to to make personnel changes, you know, even if they're political, like it's not great, but it's legal but that the pressure campaign was definitely, definitely an abuse of power. Wow. Yup. Don't try to punish your ex-brother-in-law just because you won the governor's seat. Jeez. Okay. Meanwhile, on the presidential campaign trail, a Republican operative of dubious judgment to this day named Steve Schmidt was not vetting VP candidates very well at all. And told John McCain that the sexy and very religious governor of Alaska, with the million children, including an infant with special needs, would lock in the evangelical vote. On August 29, McCain introduced Sarah Palin to a rally crowd in Dayton, Ohio, and the future was sealed.
1: Good job, Steve. So. Much.
0: Okay. Look, if you were unconscious through 2008, I recommend the movie Game Change to get caught up on. All of this, there was Tina Fey, there was like the, it was, it was, it was a lot, a lot happened. Back in the
1: before times.
0: Back in the before times. Basically, immediately, the pro-family values, super religious hockey mom announced that her unmarried teenage daughter, Bristol, was pregnant and that she would be marrying her boyfriend and baby daddy, Levi Johnston which is how that guy became a public figure for a while. He's not so much. Their baby, Trip, was born that December. The engagement was called off in 2009. Then they got back together for a minute in 2010. Then they broke up again soon after. Levi wanted to be a model.
1: Probably, probably of course wanted to, he did.
0: Of course he did. Probably wanted to end up in entertainment. He was going to run for mayor of Wasilla one time. Anyway, he's been married to a non-Palin since 2012 and seems to have receded from public life, hopefully with a very happy and satisfying existence doing whatever he does. Good
1: for Levi. Sure.
0: Get clear of all that. So to be clear, we're not trying to shame people who become parents really young. But it is to point out that the sort of judgy, perfect family thing that sometimes sort of conservatively leaning people, poll is just not great. It's just not great. Well, it's not true. It, that too. <laughs> so Sarah Palin was a uniquely noxious candidate whose loose language jazzed up Republicans. She talked about, you know, real Americans and out in the heartland where, you know, the rest of us are fake Americans, presumably, um, or, you know, accused Ob- Obama of palling around with terrorists. This kind of made it clear to everybody else that there was something really wrong over on that side of the house, but uh, I think also we can make an argument that it's gotten considerably worse in the years since. After the election, Sarah and the family returned to Alaska, where she was, after all, still the governor. But now she was also a sought-after conservative celebrity. She started appearing on Fox News shows. She launched her own PAC. This would have capitalized on her new ability to exert influence in Republican politics and probably also took in a lot of money, I guess. I was going to say, there's probably a grift. I don't think she has it still.
1: Interesting. It's,
0: yeah, anyway. That summer, she abruptly resigned as governor. It turns out that those ethics charges from Troopergate were still percolating and legal defense is expensive. So at the time, I mean, I think we remember this, it was like, she was just sort of an item of mockery, but... Worth noting, uh, they apparently ran up, like, uh, they ran up. Um, The legal bills that accumulated were something close to half a million dollars for them. What? Um, And the state of Alaska, in the aftermath of this, changed the law to help financially protect, like, elected officials who face ethics charges that they're ultimately cleared of. Because the risk with this, the Palins didn't come from great wealth. Like, they're not legacy rich kids, right. right? And so the the risk with this is that you could chase any non-rich politician out of office just by flooding them with...
1: With legal bills, for right,
0: sure. Um, which is really dangerous. And I'm not sure I really appreciated the extent to which they were financially on the hook from all of this. Although, again, that pressure campaign was probably illegal. Anyway... So she'd go on to do reality TV, Mark Burnett produced Sarah Palin's Alaska for TLC, and you have a video of Kate Gosselin going camping
1: with- the singular best moment in 2010 <laughs> television programming is Kate Gosselin, previous Trashy Divorces alum, visiting Sarah Palin, and everybody goes camping- and it lasts for like two hours.
0: Along a rainy stream bed. It's very pretty. Kate I'm sure, is unhappy. Yeah, I'm sure. Had She's it, an unhappy camper. Had it been a sunny day, that might have gone a little differently. Sarah Palin also signed on with Fox News for a while. But like, I think I think in the end she was even a little just too much for Fox. Like, I I don't know. She's such a strange person to watch from, from out here. It's, I, I don't know. The journal is a major... And media critic, self appointed in both cases, kind of immediately got herself into hot water on Fox by repurposing interview footage of LL Cool J and Toby Keith and presenting it as though she had conducted these interviews. And both of them were like, I've never met that woman in my life. You don't? That's not no, journalism. That is... <laughs> nope. Fake news. I want to share one particularly fun Palin family adventure from 2014 before we move on to the trash can section. According to reporter Laurel Andrews at the Anchorage Daily News, on September 6th, the whole Palin crew rolls up to a home in South Anchorage in a Hummer limousine and joins a birthday party being held for some friends of the family. God, I forgot about this. (sighs) They're also celebrating Todd's 50th birthday, and everybody's cool. Until they aren't. Ooh. Police are called when a melee involving at least 20 people breaks out, oh including the Palins. Police are called. Audio of the interviews on scene will later be published. It's delightful. <laughs> Willow Palin tells the cops that she was pushed by an older woman and the homeowner punched her sister Bristol. <laughs> oh, No. Bristol, who is described as heavily intoxicated in the police report, says she was pushed to the ground and dragged. They took my $300 sunglasses, she says. They took my fucking shoes and I'm fucking just left here? There are pictures, too. When the cop asks her to list her injuries, she said, My fucking knees, my face, where's my shit? I have a five-year-old in the car. (gasps) You have a baby? In a bar? (laughs) In a bar fight? On... Oh, whoa. It was lovely. Eventually, the Palins start arguing with the cop about why other party- no. partygoers are being allowed to leave after he let one go to the hospital. No. One witness tells of watching Bristol punch the homeowner in the face. This apparently happened when the guy stopped Bristol from attacking a female partygoer. Oh, my. One of Todd's old friends and another iron dog racer explains... The night goes on, drinks happen, the Palin's kids are drunk, and they got intermixed with some of my employees, and I think all hell broke loose. Wow. Track Palin was apparently so drunk that he thought they were in a completely different town. He'd been fighting with his dad before the larger altercation started and the homeowner tells the police, these Palins running up here on my property acting like they own it is not going to fly with me. I don't give a fuck if their name is Palin or fucking Obama because they don't mean shit to me. Whoa. Temper's running hot in Alaska. All right. The audio's online. We'll have it linked in show notes. Quite a treat. And of course, no charges were ever filed, which is completely par for the course. The older kids have been a bit of a mess. Bristol has alternately campaigned for abstinence and had children out of wedlock. She was briefly married, May 2016 to August 2018, to Medal of Honor winner and retired Marine Dakota Meyer. They have two children together, one from during the marriage and one from before the marriage. Apparently, during the divorce, Bristol was texting with a friend from another reality TV show that Dakota was a coward who didn't deserve his Medal of Honor. Oh, no. And like, sure, divorce is nasty and gross and terrible, but that is a fucked up thing to say.
1: About the father of your kids? Yeah. And a Medal of Honor winner? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Um, she's also anti-gay for some reason. Track has had a lot of problems, including several assaults, one of which left his dad with a bloody head. Wow. At the end of 2019, one of his exes, with whom he shares a child, asked the court to let her drop Palin as the boy's last name, since Track has no relationship with the kid.
1: No, oh, my.
0: And the name itself carries quite a bit of baggage. So this ex had been the victim of a 2016 domestic assault by track that left her bruised and which included him pointing an AR 15 at his own head and screaming that he was going to shoot himself. No. as of March of 2020 track had not even responded to the uh, petition about his son's last name. Okay. Yeah. There's real trouble. Like I,
1: It's a complicated family dynamic. It really
0: is. Like, I know this is a comedy show. My purpose here is not to make fun of people who are clearly having serious issues um, that are interfering with their quality of life. So it was that sometime between, say, start of September and end of October 2019, that Sarah Palin sat down for an interview with James Dobson, the evangelical writer and speaker who founded Focus on the Family. I think they were on the phone, actually, but... In the interview, she revealed that in June, she learned that Todd was divorcing her when the attorney he had just hired emailed to let her know that she had been retained. What? Presumably, this was a, and you should seek seek counsel as well, type of message. At the time of the interview, she said that they were trying counseling, but that when Todd did actually file papers on August 29th, just after their 31st anniversary, (sighs) quote, I thought Mm. I got shot. Wow. She told Dobson that she hoped for, quote, God's will to be done, but that God would make sure that we know that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. She also said that the kids were all very mad that it was happening and had not taken a, like, it takes two to tango kind of view of things. So we don't know. Like that...
1: That's all very ambiguous. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It does make it seem like
0: the kids are on her side, which would suggest something. So we do not know what prompted Todd to file for divorce. I checked out the like Anchorage Daily News to see if they had any hot takes on what had happened, and nobody knows. I mean, they know. The Palins know.
1: It says, quiet Virgo, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not really clear on what Sarah Palin does for a living these days. So the pack is gone, and if you try to go to Sarah Pack, it takes you to her like .dot .com of her own name. Which is allegedly some kind of like Freedom Lovers media site. Okay. Uh, but she doesn't write for it, as far as I can tell. Like all the writing is done by someone else. Okay. She has something called Mama Grizzly Radio, but it's hosted by some dude, which makes perfect sense. I think that's on like Sirius XM too. We have a contact in Alaska, of course, and he seems to think that the Palins may not even really live in Alaska full time anymore. Like I guess they bought a home in Arizona at one point. But they are they are in the state enough to be eligible to get their annual permanent fund payouts, which like every resident of Alaska gets a payout every year from oil revenues. I mean, fascinating. It's, it, they are fascinating people, and they definitely are the forerunners of what we're dealing with today. I mean, I also i I thought about the Kardashians a lot when. I was, like, putting this together because the Kardashians also kind of, they've got that that weird, like, tight-knit family thing where they all, in theory, I mean, I think it works better with them, where they all support each other and their ambitions. It just, there's there's a pathos here that's really screwing up the vibe, but anyway. The
1: Palins.
0: Zany, troubled, sometimes really mean, the Palins. So... Trash cans, we've got two adults, five kids, seven grandkids so far in 31 years. That comes to 45 snow-covered trash cans, possibly full of fish guts. Wow. And that's the Palin's.
1: That's a hell of a story.
0: It's... There was so much.
1: <laughs> 31 years.
0: Yeah. Like, congrats on that. I, I mean, I don't know. That's a long time to... Make something work with another human, like that—something admirable about that. I don't know what happened at the end, but you know they probably had a lot of really good years together, and they've still got like their youngest. I think is twelve right now, so they're still co-parents. And
1: well, and the tricky thing—it had the divorce
0: happened quietly
1: months yeah, ago. Yeah, well, it fi- not
0: publicized. It finalized right as the lockdowns mm-hmm. started, so it didn't even—I don't think Registered. anyone was paying any attention. Yeah, it, I think it was start of this month or whatever when like reporters finally got around to writing about it. No
1: one was paying any attention. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's take a quick break. Yep. Trendsetter.
0: All right, back in a minute. Hey, trash pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and I don't know, exposing official corruption Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Alicia, you have the story of one of my very favorite people.
1: I I love her. Mm -hmm. She's the original everything lady.
0: This is the best story. I can't wait. Best story.
1: So Josephine Baker. Y'all, Josephine Baker. Wowza. We talked about Josephine Baker on Patreon a few months ago within the April in Paris series. And her story is just way too good not to share for our Sunday audience. So I pulled the Patreon story out. Did a little magic, some costume changes, and I have restyled it for... I'm sensing a theme. ...our Sunday audience. Josephine Baker. Four marriages, at least three divorces, perhaps a little bigamy too. (laughs) Josephine Baker, y'all, trendsetter. Uh, Think of any trend, any trend, any star has pulled, Josephine Baker did it first. All of them. All right. Langston Hughes writes about Josephine Baker... In a December 1942 piece, he describes her as a child of charm, a dusky Cinderella girl, ambassadress of beauty from Negro America to the world. Ernest Hemingway will say about Josephine Baker, she is the most sensational woman anyone ever saw. And she just might have been, I don't know, trendsetter, trailblazer. Josephine's going to publish five memoirs in her life. Which are lovely memoirs and full of a lot of lies. Or the memory that she holds in her heart. The truth lies in everyone's heart. She's a legend.
0: The story she is telling about herself. Yeah,
1: Let's talk about it. Frida Josephine McDonald was born June 3rd, 1906. She's a Gemini gal. Josephine's mom, Carrie, is a washerwoman in St. Louis. Carrie is the adopted daughter of freed enslaved people. Carrie's the first in her family to know how to read and write. Carrie is striving for better things in the world. She has dreams of stardom. She and her boyfriend, uh, Eddie Carson, are in vaudeville together. He's a drummer. They have ambitious dreams. When Carrie's parents find out Carrie is pregnant, she's kicked out of the house. What is a little unusual here Carrie will give birth to Josephine in a white woman's hospital which typically only occurs when the father of that oh, child right. is also white. Eddie Carson is claimed as Josephine's father, but he is not but her There is reason father. to believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The assumption is that Josephine's father is one of the members of the family that Carrie was working for as a domestic at that time. But Carrie and dad-ish, Eddie, will... Have Josephine make her stage debut at the age of one in their little vaudeville act. But pretty soon after that, Eddie, out. Carrie will remarry. There's complicated family dynamics here. Josephine grows up in the Mill Creek Valley neighborhood, which is a mixed low-income neighborhood in St. Louis, rooming houses, a number of brothels. Josephine's hungry and not at all supported in ways that a kid should be. When she's little, like seven, Josephine gets a job where she is working as domestic help. This is so sad to me. She is told not to kiss the white babies. Do not kiss those babies. Also, one day, Josephine puts too much soap in the laundry and the nasty white lady that she works for will burn Josephine's hands because of this. There is perhaps some sexual abuse in the home going on as well. And Carrie is like, this family's going to kill you. I guess you should go to school. Yeah.
0: Good. Which, <laughs> yeah.
1: Which Josephine does, but by the age of 10, so it's 1916 at this point, Josephine is going to spend 67 days in school that year. Not a lot of school. By 11, 12 years old, Josephine is mostly skipping school most all the time, spending her time at the Booker T. Washington Theater in St. Louis. She really likes the animal acts and the female impersonators.
0: I feel like you've just placed a gun on the stage and then we'll come back to that later.
1: You have your, (laughs) the, the roots of it all are right here.
0: Okay. The
1: other thing that is happening in addition to the time that Josephine is spending at the Booker T Washington theater, Josephine is also doing some sex work. Dollar a, Dollar sex work act. And Carrie finds out. Mom finds out. And mom is not pleased. So mom comes up with a fantastic solution for her 13-year-old daughter. Let's get her married. That'll solve the problem. Wow. Just a
0: lot there, isn't there?
1: Hubby number one, Willie Wells. Josephine is 13 and is 1919. Willie is twice her age. He's a steel worker. And honestly, maybe Willie Wells is a good dude. I don't know. But you're married to a 13-year-old who, in the first place, does not want to be married to you. Besides it probably, I don't know, it's got to be illegal. This marriage does not last long. Two weeks in, they get in a big fight. Josephine will break a beer bottle and will take that broken bottle to Willie's head.
0: Willie leaves.
1: Willie does not return.
0: Surprised. Divorce number one.
1: (laughs) Done. It happens in weeks.
0: Hard to see.
1: (laughs) But Carrie's not going to be deterred. Here comes husband number two. Another Willie. Willie Baker. This marriage happens in 1921. Josephine is now at the very mature age of 15. Josephine has also been working on stage with a vaudeville troupe. And Josephine is like, hey. St. Louis is kind of a dangerous place if you are a black woman. And I think I'm just going to leave here and head on out to Philadelphia with all of my theater kid vaudeville friends, which she does. No need for pesky paperwork. Just bye, Willie. See ya. So at the age of 15, two marriages complete. Precocious. (laughs) Josephine Baker is also at this time taking a lover. Her name is Clara Smith. She's a performer. (laughs) She is known as the queen of the moaners.
0: Just What what does that mean? Okay.
1: This will get Josephine to New York city where she joins the chorus of shuffle along, which is the first all black review on Broadway. And she breaks the line. Like she's supposed to be in the background, but she'll make silly faces and mug for the audience and she'll get fired. But then she gets rehired because, as the papers have reported back then, quote the crackers loved it. Unquote. Josephine is going to become the highest-paid showgirl on Broadway. She's a hit. In 1925, she gets called for the ridiculous sum of 250 dollars a week to headline a show in Paris. She's 19 years old. This would be like 15,000 a week ask, today. Okay. Good Lord. And you get to go to Paris. 1920, going to Paris. She doesn't know the language. And she kind of is doubting taking the gig. But little does she know that Paris is the best city in the world. Mm -hmm. There are no Jim Crow laws. Like Josephine's a kid who was 11 years old during the St. Louis riots in 1917. Paris, she doesn't have to change train cars. She can book a hotel room. It's a brand new world. Paris is lit. Josephine is going to introduce Paris to the Charleston, to jazz hands, <laughs> to the twerk,
0: hmm.
1: also miniskirts. Huh? There are 16 plastic bananas, B A N A N A S, hence the connection of the tie in of the song. And these bananas on this low slung miniskirt are all pointed up. So it is quite provocative. Like she's on stage. Pretty much doing everything but penetration. And Paris has never, whoa, seen anything like this. She captivates Paris. (laughs) She is nude and weird and awesome. And she's an instant success. She is a symbol of the jazz age. She is introducing the world at this point to the concept of black is beautiful. She's called the black pearl Black Venus, Bronze Venus, Creole Goddess, Josephine is doing it. In that same 1942 piece, Langston Hughes will describe her taking Paris by storm this way. Quote, a year or two later, she went to Paris with a small group of colored entertainers who introduced the Charleston to the French capital. Josephine was not the star of the group, but she made the biggest hit. She was then only about 17. Her lanky child's figure, her grotesque sense of rhythm, and the warm chocolate skin of the body that she used was such abandoned fascinated the Parisians. Almost overnight, she was a star. Things are going great for Josephine in Paris. She's going to hook up with a fake count in 1926, Giuseppe. How is he fake? Is that? Oh, he says he's a count, but he's not a count. Oh, okay. I mean, he's a fake count. Oh, of course. I'm Count Giuseppe. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody calls this guy Pepito. He's a gigolo. He's a con man. But, oh, he has a fancy monocle, too, that he wears around. Don't we all want one? <sighs> but the thing Pepito does do is gets Josephine's career on track. He'll get her roles in three silent films from 1927 to 1935. He gets her a recording contract. She will perform at the opera in Paris in 1934. Like, Pepito is great at her management, but Lousy is a lover. They do the fight. They leave. They come back. This relationship goes on for, like, 11 years, from 1926 to 1937. But during this time, like... Josephine's touring all over. She's doing cocaine in Berlin. Like from 20 to 31, she is making a fortune in a world without the type of racism that she has grown up with Mm -hmm. and having a marvelous time. She's living a life that could not be hers in St. Louis.
0: Probably anywhere in America at that time.
1: She's she's touring Europe. She's a sensation. Oh, she's picketed by the brown shirts.
0: Oh, well, that's a point of pride right there.
1: Uh, For real. Make Nazis mad. Yeah. She's called subhuman and immoral. She says, I'm not moral. I am natural. She moves. uh,
0: I love that Nazis want to dictate who's human and who's not.
1: Josephine will move into a marble palace on the Champs-Élysées. She'll open a nightclub in Paris called Chez Josephine with a sister club in Berlin that never closes. It's early Waffle House. Open 24 hours. Doors never shut. Oh, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Josephine will wash dishes in her club late at night. Josephine brands everything. Josephine, (laughs) I mean, this is Pepito, too. He really is a good manager. There's this line of Josephine dolls that are like the Cabbage Patch Kid craze of Christmas. This is 1926 for girls. Everybody wants a Josephine doll. She's making a fortune.
0: That's so, f- like I had, I had not any idea that Josephine happened. Dolls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Josephine also is going to have a beauty line called Baker Fix. There's a hair product that is actually going to make her more money than her music ever will. Wow. Which is interesting. Oh, a few other trends here. Josephine is the first woman to gender bend by wearing a full on tuxedo that point, Marlena Dietrich had donned a top hat, but never the whole affair. Oh, Josephine Baker. She's so good. There's also an incident with some bad relaxer that happens in her hair. But that's okay, because she's going to turn that into a trend as well with the finger-waved hair. Oh, oh, (laughs) Josephine has a pet cheetah. The cheetah's name is Chiquita. And Chiquita wears a diamond collar and really likes to go to the movies. Chiquita prefers jungle pictures. Well, yeah. Chiquita performs in Josephine's act. She Josephine also has a pig named Albert hmm. who gets so big that Josephine has to remove the door in her kitchen, in her home, so Albert can – yeah. She has a goat How as well. How
0: does she keep the cheetah from eating the pig?
1: I don't know. There's a cheetah – There's a pig, there's a goat, there's a chimpanzee, there's snakes, there's dogs.
0: Seems like a lot of cheetah food to me.
1: Well, the dogs just seem kind of ho hum after a cheetah (laughs) and a pig and a goat, but people have famous animals now. Josephine Baker started it. So Pepito and Josephine are going to head back to the United States for an ill fated visit in 1937. It goes bad. They're not married. She's black. They can't book a hotel room she's like, I can't even believe I left Paris to come back to the segregated country. And Pepito is driving her to do this. And Josephine's like, I don't think this is going to be a good idea. And it was not. She's starring in Zigfield Follies. U.S. crowds do not like her. They can't stand her so much that she has been replaced in just a few weeks by Gypsy Rose Lee.
0: Hmm.
1: Pepito's out, too. Josephine blames Pepito for not negotiating a better contract. What Josephine does not know is Pepito is actually dying of cancer. Uh He'll pass away in September of 1937, which a grief-stricken Josephine will head into marriage number three to a French businessman, industrialist named Jean Jean Leon. Jean Leon. Jean Lyon. Is how you'd say it. Absolutely. jean Lyon. Okay. 1937. They get married. Josephine will get her French citizenship through this marriage. And she dreams of becoming a mother and a housewife. She does get pregnant. There is a baby that is lost, Mm. which ends Jean and Josephine. A year later, they file for divorce. They're done by 1939. Don't worry. 1939, Josephine is going to be recruited by the French Intelligence Service to become a fucking spy in World War II. She's an entertainer. She can move around freely. So coded messages are written in invisible ink on her sheet music or taped into her underwear.
0: Wow. Do you want to
1: search the cheetah?
0: Right. Like... So she's just wandering around Europe, like moving resistance messages around. Yeah, that she goes is on tour. So good. And
1: all the countries that she goes to, they know. Oh, Josephine's coming in. Yeah. So the Belgian Let's resistance, get in her underwear yeah. to get the secret message out. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Phrasing, phrasing. But yeah, okay.
1: Well, she's going into neutral countries, so she can exchange information. When Paris is occupied, she has actually moved all of her crap out already and the only thing left her parakeets. so she will leave Paris hitching a ride with a perfect stranger and her cage of parakeets. This rented castle is her base of operations and she's touring Europe with Vivian Lee and Noel Coward and she's talking to troops about venereal disease. She's talking to a lot of black troops and promising them I'm going to come back to the States and fight in the war to win desegregation, but let's win this war first. She's a spy master. Josephine gets Jewish refugees passports in Morocco. During this time, there is a another miscarriage or an infertility treatment. I've seen both written, but Josephine is going to be in the hospital for a number of months in recovery. Which allows an even better opportunity for dignitaries to come and visit her and bring flowers and give her all the well wishes.
0: Interesting.
1: And get secret messages
0: uh-huh.
1: from. Yep. Yeah. Trade-coded messages. Amazing. Like She is super lucky to survive this health incident. Works out well, you know, for spying. But this is one of my favorite quotes by her. There are rumors of her death that happen when she's in Casablanca. And Josephine says, quote, there has been a slight error. I am much too busy to die, unquote. War's over. Woo, we won. She's awarded a shit ton of medals. She is given the Legion to honor. She's given the rosette of the, I don't know, the Gore secret. Like every honor you can get for being A legendary French spy she's got. Time for one more marriage. (laughs) Enter Joe Bouillon. It's 1947. He's a French composer. And Joe Bouillon is not the guy that Josephine's friends want for her. Her friends warn her off this dude. And they give him a nickname, which is Joe Soup.
0: Joey Soups. Joe Bouillon
1: (laughs) is Joe Soup. Joe Soup. Joey Soups. Well, I can't do better than that. So Joe Soup, French band leader, and Josephine, in the ever infamous words of bad relationships everywhere, says... Uh,
0: I can fix him.
1: I can fix him. How's that go? Well, they buy a castle. They want to adopt four kids. Okay. And everything is going to be fine for a while. She will go on to adopt some kids, international kids. Like, she'll go on tour somewhere and come back with a kid she calls them her rainbow tribe. She can kiss all the babies she wants now. Black, white, all kinds of different cultures. She is Josephine is looking to achieve her vision of kids of all colors living harmoniously together. She will open that castle to visitors so visitors can see her grand design for post-racial unity at work. Angelina Jolie got it from Josephine <laughs> Baker. So after eight adoptions, Jo Soup is like, we're done. There's a lot of kids here. You have to stop this. Yeah. She does not. Josephine will eventually end up adopting 12 kids. Wow. And Jo Soup is like, I'm out. That marriage is done by 1961. Technically, that is the end of Josephine's trashy divorces. There are fairs, a lot of them, men and women, including Juan Peron. After the death of his wife, Frida Kahlo, there are performances that she gives that legitimately change show business. All the big fancy costume changes that we get from Cher and Celine Dion. Josephine Baker did it first. There's a wax museum about her life in Paris at one time, a mini golf course, a restaurant, a casino. Move over, Jimmy Buffett. Josephine Baker branded everything first. Josephine is also a fierce supporter of the civil rights movement from early on. She will not play for segregated audiences. She's honored by the NAACP. There's a legendary story about an evening at the Stork Club, and she gets in a big old feud with the gossip columnist of the day, Walter Winchell, who gets so mad and calls her, Josephine Baker, oh the self-appointed Joan of Arc of colored people. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, he's mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This same incident at the Stork Club will spark a friendship with Grace Kelly. Hmm. Josephine speaks at the March on Washington in 1963. Like, her story has everything. All of those stories that don't have anything to do with her divorce are in that Patreon episode. Right. I'm not going to tell that. Sure. But... It's good stuff. If you want all that trash candy, check out that April in Paris episode. So what happens to Josephine Baker? Grace Kelly is going to end up helping Josephine out because for as much money as she has made in her career, she will lose it all. She loses her castle. She's in kind of a tough spot. She's got 12 kids. Her friend, Princess Grace will arrange for Josephine and her family to just come on down to Monaco. Josephine will reside in Monaco for the remainder of her life. Not that she stops performing. She'll perform right to the end. When she is in Paris, headlining a new show at the age of 68 in 1975. April 12th, Josephine will suffer a cerebral hemorrhage in hmm. bed. After just a few shows, she is found surrounded by all of her rave reviews in the newspapers from that performance. Justine Baker, legend, goddess, wowza. Trash cans on this one. For hubby one, Willie Wells, like, I think the trash can is just filled with broken beer bottles. Hubby two, Willie Baker, where'd you go? Like, I have to wonder how long it took Willie to figure out that she was not coming back. That has a trash can for sure, but I don't think anybody can find it. <laughs> Jean-Léon, not terribly trashy. It's just more sad with the loss of the much-wanted child. But uh, yeah. you got French citizenship out of it, so that's cool. Joe Soup, I don't know how many trash cans that gets, but all the trash cans are painted rainbow-colored. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Those are the trashy divorces of Josephine Baker.
0: Yeah, I really didn't know that she had been... Like sort of a significant French spy <laughs> during World War II. That's amazing. I mean, performer
1: changes what black identity is. Like in a coming episode, we've had a lot of requests for Dorothy Dandridge and we're gonna tell her story right. this season for sure. But I think Dorothy gets every performer ever has gotten like Josephine Baker does everything. She does everything, performs. French spy master. Oh, she's an aviator. She uh, knows seven languages or something. Gemini. Fascinating. Pet cheetah. You think Carmen Miranda was cool with her (laughs) old coogie? No, Josephine Baker did it first. Right. Josephine Baker does everything first. Amazing story. Love her.
0: Love her. Yes.
1: Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And joining us for another week of Trashy Divorces. Y'all are the best.
0: If you need more trash candy before next week, we've got a bunch of free episodes. Yes, you can join us on Patreon for constantly updated stuff. Uh, and then we also have the bit.ly slash trash candy quarantine link where there's, do you know how many pieces are out from the paywall now?
1: I think like 30. Okay. We'll put another one up this week. Yeah. Until we're back with you again next week, friends. Yep. Clean hands. Trashy hearts. Yep.
0: Wash them paws. So much washing. And we will... Oh, and cover your eyeballs. That's the new thing, right? I don't know. Keep it trashy. As a glasses wearer, suddenly I feel like I've been gifted. (laughs) Keep it trashy. Bye. Bye. And thanks
1: to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia, with a little research and writing
0: help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram.